0: Welcome to the Worship Theology Podcast. I'm Dr. Jeremy Parago, and in this podcast, I bring in guest theologians, scholars, musicians, Christian leaders, and together we attempt to bridge faith and ministry praxis. Worship Theology is a podcast to fuel and nurture vital discussions on worship, music, and theology. So we're so glad that you've joined us as we think deeply about Christian worship. Today, helping us think a little deeper about Christian worship and theology, I have Dr. Tanya Riches, who will be discussing things like megachurches, Hillsong, Pentecostal worship, and also her PhD dissertation on aboriginal-led Pentecostal churches in Australia. We'll also hear some early stage theologizing from Tanya's kids as we dig into this podcast. Tanya, it's great to yeah, great to be with you. Great to see you. Thanks for for hanging out today.
1: Oh, ah, yeah. oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
0: And in addition to you, we've got your your son who will be gurgling and and pontificating yes, and yes bringing some critical analysis. <laughs> yes,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I have two sons, and they might both come through. But yeah, we'll it'll be great to chat. <laughs>
0: Super fun, um, yeah. I'd, I'd love. You've been a, a you, you're a scholar, ethnographer. You've been a worship leader, a church musician. When you think about corporate worship, what's what's a memorable moment that quickly comes comes to your mind?
1: Yeah, I just was quickly reading through the questions, and I was thinking about your memorable moments in worship, right? And I think that in and of itself is really interesting because what we take away as people that are leading the worship is so different often than what you know maybe you know, congregant might take away because we've got all these mechanisms that we're thinking like and trying to plan and make, you know, worship beautiful and a God-honouring moment. But I think um, one of the things that I was thinking about is just what's corporately important, and I think that was um, what came to mind, which is like a a particular service in which um, at our church, Hillsong Church, in which uh, a man whose father had died, his name is Tolu, um, Falatolu and he is um, Pacific Islander. And he had, you know, really gone through a really terrible time. And he was brought up on stage, and he sang the song "Still" by Ruben Morgan. And um, I, I think that this just really, it really struck me as something that was something that was so profoundly important. Um, and I think just that that fundamental. Um, thing that we try as worship leaders to teach is that you know um, when the oceans rise and the thunders roar, that you know we can soar with God, and that it's you know not it's not something that is um, you know you have to push for, or you know you have to like, but that there is a possibility of being in grief and also being with with God, and that we can be okay, and we can be still and know that god is there and that you know um, and that strikes me as a really profoundly beautiful moment that i got to witness and that our church was changed yeah. by i think so um yeah and i think it was really beautiful because you know there's a, been a couple of times where till jumped up he doesn't worship much anymore um since his dad died but um yeah he's jumped up and sung that song and i think for all of us it's just been like a reminder yeah it's not, not really about not
0: just not just for you but Yeah, a marker in the whole entire community, community too.
1: And I think that's where you know I've been really pushing myself to really understand not just my own world, but to understand worship life as a part of the worshiping community. And um, I think that takes the edge off a little bit, right? Because you can be really analytical about your performance, and um, yeah, and but really understanding that this is about a community's transition and um, progression and growth is, I think, fundamental to what
0: we do yeah oh yeah it's that's so profound I can, maybe we'll get back into that but also as we just kind of get to know you for listeners for students of mine like you're you've you've been involved as a songwriter uh, a, a worship leader but then also studying theology and ethnography like what what often that doesn't happen when you think of the words you don't think often again i do but maybe broadly people don't think oh pentecostals oh right. great theology yeah. oh, or yeah, sure. hill, 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 hill song like yeah. you know yeah. oh phd in ethnography and theology yeah. from Fuller. Yeah. like yeah that, that's often what we one. don't
1: <laughs>
0: yeah what what what's why do you think maybe that's that's been so divided particularly in the free church tradition of between academic theology and particularly things around around worship and leading and church leadership
1: yeah i mean there's so many answers to that but i think like i can only really speak from my vantage point um so obviously there are industry answers to that in terms of like how we sell products and the move from you know state churches to the market and um you know, your hymnal would be created by your, your church, you know, and, and it was printed and it would be issued to you and it would be authorised and, you know, and now we kind of can get on and listen to podcasts like this or, you know, get YouTube videos or we can decide, okay, well, you know what would suit my church is this. Um, and so that kind of transition, really big transition has meant obviously that there's been a lot of other transitions that haven't maybe been as thought out. And I don't think it's intentional that there's a divide um, between theology and worship practice. There's, um, I don't think anyone wants there to be a divide, um, but but um, we we met, we have one, and I think you know it's realistic that we have one, so we have to acknowledge it, and um, like I think you know there's some of the reasons as to why individuals don't bridge that, I've got, that divide is, I think, really significant. And I personally have, and it's come at a cost. So, um, you know, my academic work now takes precedence over me being involved in the team, in the worship team. Um, and because I realise that that's how I'm serving my church and there aren't many of me <laughs> in the academic space, so that's just where I've gone. Um, but I think that, you know, um, there's a lot of worship leaders who choose you know to prioritize say for example getting great sounds learning you know tricks I don't know how I'm trying to you know um, but you know rather than going okay you know what I'm going to send myself to seminary (laughs) and get a degree and and this you know this that's understandable music you know is music education isn't usually present in those degrees um so therefore you kind of have to have a choice but I think for each of us, we have to make a decision to bridge that divide in some way. And I, what I, what I, um, st- what I guess my witness to the church is: I sit there and I am a theologian. <laughs> so you know, and yesterday, you know, someone said, "Oh, theologians, the problem with theologians is," and I just, I just sit there really quietly and I just wait. And then I go. I'm a theologian, you know. Actually, we all are, really. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but I think you know, and and uh, maybe there is a need to go. You know what? Yes, the the the, the guild has really listened to people who are doing music. Um, but yeah, we'll. Sp- mm. I think you know, there's a there's something that each of us can do. Yeah.
0: No, I love I love that point. I think. The thing that I always think of though is often like those who have been studying worship um, have been those denominational centers so it has been those seminaries which yeah. often historically yeah. hasn't been the free church it's That's right. You know yeah. presbyterians yeah. or you yeah. know I guess baptists over the last 100 years and then some of the kind of charismatic or non-denominational regent yeah. fuller others who have emerged Gordon Conwell yes. Mhm but And so often these, these liturgical theologians from those traditions look at a mega church like Hillsong (laughs) or even a small house church in Turkey, like look at it with, with their um, kind of structures and their expectations of what worship. So they're taking a magnifying glass, looking for uh Eucharistic prayers and, right.
1: and that that the, exactly <laughs> and you know yeah and so yeah
0: yeah go ahead no oh no,
1: I was just gonna say in that like fuller is a quarter Pentecostal so you know yeah. there were a group of us but definitely not like it, it doesn't prior it didn't prioritize our way of thinking or being and you know I think you have to get out of your comfort zone if you're going to do that. So yeah, but what were
0: you going to say? Sorry. Or no, I was going to say or it takes people like <laughs> you who are who are who are in who are in those traditions but can also speak mm. the language of of the academy, speak yeah. like a theologian, speak to liturgical theologians. I'm I'm cu- yeah. I'm curious what what do you think some of those unique contributions of charismatic worship would be again oh, there's lots yeah. of book. there's lots of books on what charismatics do wrong <laughs> what pentecostals do do yeah. do wrong but what what maybe are we or those of us that have grown up in that tradition what might we be contributing because what we're doing is theological, um, script scriptures being quoted all the time by pastors and worship leaders. But what, what are some of the the unique contributions, particularly in the area of, of corporate worship and liturgy?
1: Yes. Um, and I think, you know, well, firstly, and the most importantly is openness to the spirit. And I think that is huge, right? Is us being willing to, and consistently wanting to discern what God is doing in that moment, um, is a critical contribution (laughs) um and I you know I I have learned that listening to God is um you know it can pass it can put you it can radically shift you in a moment uh into places that you know you may not otherwise be and I think that's like I am I have a PhD because I'm you know a Pentecostal Christian I literally asked God you know what do I do now um And I had a revelation of Jesus as an Aboriginal boy, you know, as as an Aboriginal child in a rural area. And if he walked into my city, Sydney, um, and said that he was the son of God, then we would kill him. That would be what would happen. It was like the drama of the the narrative of the Bible story played out in my land. And I realized I've got to do something about this. And so I went and spent a lot of time with Aboriginal Christians who love music. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I guess... You you kind of like the spirit moves you into these places. And I wonder, it's, I think potentially it's not so much that people who are Pentecostal Christian, um, you know, are in, uh, you know, have kind of found this way of being that doesn't include it. I think that if we truly listen to the spirit, the spirit moves us into these places and perhaps we're not being brave enough. And those contributions are the bravery to be able to follow those things, the ability to be able to be renewed. Um, Nimi Waraboko calls it refolding. So we take these traditions and we refold them into something new. Yeah. And I think that ability is absolutely beautiful and um, is a testimony because I can be utterly fuller, (laughs) you know, in the sense that, you know, as a a seminary student and utterly Pentecostal and utterly Hillsong and that is a work of the spirit. (laughs) (laughs) this, <laughs> you know, <just laughs> and you know, I, um, I remember I, I gave a t-shirt, a Hillsong conference t-shirt to um, my course coordinator at the time. And he was just, he laughed his head off because he was like, I'm never ever going to wear this in public. And I was like, that's fine, Dave. I just know it's in your cupboard. <laughs> and you know, because I was like, I am Hillsong and you need to look at me and realize that. When you have like, you know, prejudices or, you know, when things come up as to what you think a mega church attendee is, I am one. Um, and you know, I know there's lots of things that can be said about mega churches at the moment, and but that personing, you know, I guess our movement is is a part of the work of the spirit as well. It's about saying, you know, look, this is who I am and um, I'm witnessing to Jesus and in in your community and that in and of itself, you know, is that's the spirit sends us into those places and allows us to not be without safe, you know, um, you know, like our safety, our, our comfort zone, our, all of those things. For me that's what it is to live a life, a spirit-filled life, is to be able to go, you know what, God, wherever and whenever you want to take me, you send me and like You know, I realise that, you know, it might hurt my body. It might, you know, it might cost me money. It might, all of those things. It's, it's. I surrendered that a long, long time ago in youth camp. You know, I surrendered that on the altar. Um, I don't have rights to that anymore. Um, And, yeah, I would like to not, you know, be in pain and not have to do a PhD and I'd like to have a great life. But if I don't, there's something so much more fulfilling in what I carry in the spirit that comes with me. So, yeah, I think
0: well, yeah, as as you hear, I hear it like yeah, the sense of calling and vocation in that for for you and I think for students, there's always a struggle. Like how, how can I, again, you're, you are sharing kind of some of your identities and some of the tribes or some of the groups and they each have their own language yes. and their own, yes. even liturgies, exactly, right? like the liturgies of the academy versus the liturgies of right. a megachurch. church, not just at worship, but, mm-hmm. but in how, how things flow and they have their own yeah. power dynamics. But yeah, in a sense, I hear you like talking about how, but that's your calling that's who you're created to be it's
1: yeah Yeah. and to me like that's pentecost like we are the people who learn languages and who speak them in ways that others understand and hear the spirit like that's that's what we are so you know for me when i'm formatting like when i'm you know using the style guide and trying to work out how to say informal language that is so far away from what a worship leader would want to do and seek to do you know it's um We're trying to make everything accessible for people to be able to enter into God's presence fully. Um, But that's me learning a language and the community of the academics is as important to God as, you know, the refugees that, you know, gather in the detention centre that we have a service with or, you know, our Chinese-American community or, you know, like there's all these different people groups that God passionately cares about. And I think the academy is one, and so making a contribution Like I would say to any Pentecostal, (laughs) you can make a contribution. um, In the, it's not just about you know learning how to do things in a you know old (laughs) um, written (laughs) fuddy duddy way. There's things that you can do that would you know change the way we think about worship and and you know that we can see our community in new ways and with new (laughs) frontiers. So I think refolding is like you know (laughs) an important thing for us to
0: all to see is our vocation uh yeah I, I love that idea and i know you're yeah i can see even in this short conversation like just a a bridge builder too like you're creating yeah areas for people to 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 link that maybe never would before and yeah particularly as an educator i know that's part of part of your calling calling too i i'm the, the mega churches get a lot of flack too in addition to the Pentecostals <laughs> yeah, yeah for again not and, and not just on the blogosphere or like in, mm-hmm. in podcasts or or tweets but even within within um yeah within academic discourse I could think yes yeah, sure. mm-hmm. even even people as hospitable as John Whitfleet talking right. about the bane of the the bane of the North American church <laughs> and I, I had oh. it, it, I I think although you're not in North America, you're, mm. he may have been expanding the bane towards yeah. towards you too. And even to, I I talked uh, earlier this week with uh, Dr. Simon Chan this morning actually. Oh yes, liturgical theologian. I don't know if you've connected with yes. him, but <laughs> yes. th- th- so so much I really a- appreciate about hmm. his desire to bring yeah. renewal to the church uh-huh. and even, even after that conversation. But, but as, as I was preparing for that interview and thinking, Oh, I'm going to talk to Tanya later today. Like he he writes when modern evangelical charismatic churches arbitrarily construct their worship to cater to human needs and whims, they're doing primary theology, but it's a false theology. So he's, he's talking about kind of this needs based, you know, what, what are the needs of our community and his, his, idea i think is i read that right and even conversationally like that's that's not what the church is for it's word and sacrament i i guess in my own view and experience like when i've been a part of mega churches they're very aware of the felt needs of the community i'd i'd love to hear yeah some of your thoughts just on those mm. unique contributions what what's good about mega churches
1: yeah look i mean I don't think yeah, yes, okay, so
0: <laughs> it's definitely a
1: cultural moment. And I um, I would hate for anyone to think that I by saying, you know, that mega churches have good things about them, that we're not reviewing what is also potentially harmful. So I think that's really important. And particularly from my community, so Hillsong, we've gone through the media over, you know, the past two years in indescribable in ways. We with no I don't even think you can understand really what it is to wake up and read an article about yourself in the New York Times um, and to have to think, have to turn up to work the next day or to, you know, think through, like, what is my contribution to this? So, you know, we've gone through a transition of senior pastor as well um, and we are very serious about getting healthy is what we, you know, Pastor Fuduli is really um, emphasising health, not size. And I think when... (laughs) I think this is one of the misnomers maybe as well is that we've actually never really focused on size, but I know that people who are trying to create a mega church and in the slipstream of what Hillsong's done um, have, you know, at times been really focused on that. And there's things that you do when you've got one goal in mind. Um, But, okay, so in terms of what we do well, I think, you know, um, there is something beautiful about having representation of really diverse groups within the one community and people who are very committed to loving each other. I think that's um, something that our particular megachurch has that is a strength is that our critics (laughs) are not willing to leave. (laughs) So um, they desire for us to get better and they desire for Hillsong to reform consistently um, because there's a love that you know is in the church and you it's very hard to leave that and you know and you talk to people who are deconstructing and you know they say it's very little outside the church that offers that kind of a love um so I think you know anything that is positive can also be misconstrued and, and used negatively right so I think like in some ways the greatest critiques are the greatest strengths there is a way to be a community um who deeply, deeply share life together in a mega church, um, and who are able to better each other and to help each other see each other's flaws. And I think about you know sometimes I dream like imagine if I could just go to the local, <laughs> the local Anglican church as we call them down the road um, and sit there <laughs> and have ten families <laughs> um, who are pretty much you know. Um, you know well in our you know many cases here who don't necessarily encroach on each other's lives in the way that we do um, it's very very hard when you have that kind of critical mass to you know, not have to take everybody else into account. So I think that that it can be a strength. And so that means, of course, that, you know, yeah, we do stuff in the community and it doesn't get shouted from the rooftops. We're terrible at comms. (laughs) But, you know, I I found out on Tuesday night that we we, um, donated half a million dollars to the Ukraine crisis and to the (laughs) Ukraine people. Um, We've lobbied the Australian government to try and allow our Ukrainian um, church to resettle with us. And that's not the only time that we've loved the government and refugee issues, but this one seemed to be really important for to be said from the platform. And so I learned it, you know. And I'm like, there's things going on all the time in a megachurch that um that you know you possibly wouldn't have the resources to do in another context. And um, yeah, I mean, there's lots of pros, <laughs> I, I, and I think you know we we need to probably learn how to say that. You know, look, this is what I love about my megachurch. And there's also things that I dislike, um, yeah. and it's it's not you know it's not about um, marketing it. Like I'm not I'm not marketing it. You know, to it's about saying this is my this is my spiritual life and my reality. Yeah. Um, I I have a church. My mum and dad attend it. You know, I've gone for you know 35 years, and there's things that I treasure about the way that it, it assists me in connecting with God.
0: I, am I'm, I'm curious, like you, the first point you mentioned was about that kind of diversity and the, I mean, often Hillsong congregations are in cosmopolitan locations. We we went often in London and New York and, you know, Sydney and and places, places like that. I think it is what my experience was, it was one of those beautiful places where you saw every tribe tongue you know kind of the 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 picture of the end of the age just a glimpse an appetizer maybe of of a community that's expressing that i think i think though you the 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 church has advertised that well I think they've advertised the global diverse side mm-hmm. quite well I think Tom our mutual friend Tom uh, Wagner like yeah right like work his, is, yeah. His, his, okay. his look through through the branding lens like um, I think there's some upsides and downsides of his approach but I think the 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 ability to shift towards a global church a global movement seems intentional and it seems also very Pentecostal. Like, yeah. it seems very, yeah. like, acts, acts 2. Like, yeah, let's, totally. what God's doing here. Let's take it to the ends, ends yeah, of the right.
1: I mean, yeah. And, that like, in my infield as well, you know, I looked at that. And particularly United, um, Hillsong United, and just the shift that um, Darlene Check, our worship pastor at the time, made to, you know, yeah, like, engaging the world, going, we can make great music that, you know, hits the charts. Um, I think we don't really realize though the transition. I mean, yeah, it's really interesting to hear you say that. Um, cause I think there's so much more about a global nature that we're yet realizing. Um, so I guess, yes. So yes, we, um, definitely some of the branding stuff has looked at how Hillsong globalized. And there's an article that Tom and I wrote together where we realized yep. that our perspectives really helped each other. Um, and I guess that, that conversation has been really helpful, you know, finding a friend that is outside of my church to have conversations with and um, we've been able to work out stuff that we've learnt from that conversation and that hopefully has helped the study of Song as a church. But I think in terms of like the global aspect, you know, there's I think, you know, in any operation and, you know, the BLM and Me Too movements have really made that clear. Uh, often there's a lot of diversity at the grassroots and not so much at the top. Um, look, and I know I want to qualify that because I know that, you know, our general manager, George Agajanian, would like look at me with a bit of disdain as an Armenian <laughs> man. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I You yeah. know, I think there's, that 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 you know, obviously, there's a critique back, but uh, but you know, look, the reality is for how it feels on the ground is that in many places, corporations are less diverse at at their top than at the bottom. I think that's true of our church as well. Um, and my job as an anthropologist is to listen to culture and the broader culture. And so, I don't come. I think a lot of the time, people come into a church and they're attentive to the leadership. Um, and I try to be attentive to my leadership, but, but I also try to be attentive to the people um, and, you know, try to listen to what is happening on the ground and who are the people that make up Song, not just the leaders that make up Hillsong. Uh And I think that that goes to my understanding of the church <laughs> and that is far more global than I think we've even realised. And so um, I've recently been working with an African scholar and, um, just talking about, yeah, what it means to be African and a part of Hillsong, like literally African. You've never gone anywhere else. You are African um, and you attend Hillsong. So I think, you know, this is, yeah, this is where we're really trying to expand that understanding. Um, Yeah, I think so. yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you, do you think, do you think there's something with like those, those who study things like liturgical theology to, yeah, to have their ear towards the ethnographers who are looking at yeah. what's really happened at the uh, grassroots. And I think, yeah, just thinking of a few few friends who are, are more on the theology side that always yeah. critique mm-hmm. this worship leader, this movement. Yeah. And I'm like, have you ever interviewed anyone there? <laughs> have you ever? And again, yeah. sometimes that is, yeah. diffi- that is difficult in, in, mm-hmm. in certain contexts and there's yes. layers of mm-hmm. of people you'd have to get through. But like, is there something that, that theologians yeah. can learn from those who are, who are actually there on the ground studying kind of the the experiences of?
1: Yeah, of look, I think so. Act, you people. know, and, yeah. yeah, and that's why my work's gone that way. Um, you know, I think when I when I started work on Hillsong Church, um, it was because I was you know involved in the music team and I wanted to understand more. Uh, and exactly that. Theologians had come to events and they told me that we had bad theology. Um, and I guess, you know, I I thought, well, what do I do about that? Like I'm just, you know, <laughs> like a you know, at the time, like, you know, I remember being like worship leading and then like having people strip tear strips off of me afterwards, you know, like, and they may not realize it like that because they're like, you know, well, these Jesus is my boyfriend songs. And you know, so that's why I went into theology is to try and work out, you know, what was I doing wrong? <laughs> what what were we doing wrong? And I think I realised, you know, that, um, of course, doctrinal statements and propositions are really important. So I believe is a statement, you know, that we would, you know, encourage. That's a creedal kind of, you know, way of approach. Um and there's lots of important belief statements, but what we haven't really taken into account is how those operationalize. And that's not really how you know your ordinary congregation member engages with God. It's not so much in belief as it is in practice. And in particularly in a Pentecostal context, we find that you know there's a practice of the Spirit, and so we we uh, initiate them into that practice. So. Um, I guess you know, and in if the we, same,
0: same in the same location in a, a corporate worship context, people may be experiencing God through the same song that's saying those same "I believe" statements, but experiencing God in a different in a different way, in, right. a, in a very personal way.
1: Yeah, and that experiential sense of like this is, you know, me encountering God is so critical to what we do, um, and I think you know understanding that is really I guess the part part of being a Pentecostal scholar is going I want to understand what's happening and so that leads leads to often ethnography or you know so in my case a lot of my students are looking at aspects of the church and trying to work out what are we doing (laughs) we don't know Um, and I think that's the thing is that you know when you've got books of how to do things and there's like you know Um, proposition after proposition and, you know, that is theology and you're just kind of telling the people um, like there's things that, you know, work and then there's things that misfire. And I think um, but understanding how this works amongst people enables us to say, okay, well, these are the things that people really are understanding deeply and then here are the things that maybe are not really Um, you know, landing for the congregation and I think it's a different type of critique um, that you can offer when you truly know the people well um, and what's happening. I think, you know, obviously theology has lots to give and we all take a little bit of a position statement but some of the projects that, you know, I they're running, uh, my students are running at the moment are things like, you know, how do we discern? So, you know, we have to make lots of decisions in church life, but how do we discern and how do we, you know, so that's a worship leader from um, Trinidad and Tobago, Sion, who's looking into that because I think, you know, we also discern as worship leaders what to do in any minute. <laughs> we have to, but how are we doing that? And are we doing that in a biblically, you know, grounded way that really, captures God's heart for this moment or, you know, are we just doing what we've always done? Um, and we don't know because we haven't really put thought into it. And there's not a lot of theology written on that. So, you know, it's like, I think ethnography allows you to kind of think things through that really matters to the community.
0: Yeah. I mean, what, your your monograph that came out of your, your PhD is on urban adri- Aboriginal-led Pentecostal churches, right? Yes. It, in these congregations, you—you, you, the, as, as I read that, I saw a lot of interaction yeah. on on the yeah on the worship practices of Pentecostal, and then how that interacts with cultural identity, um, and yeah. yeah, the collective and the individual identities of those those communities. I'm curious if, again, students probably won't be able to afford your, your text or yeah. get get through the first chapter, at least if they're under, undergrad, grad, but what, what were some of the things that you found within these communities on that kind of interaction of Pentecostal worship, but also I, identity and, and collective, yeah. individual, cultural
1: identities. Yeah, I, I mean, there's so much, and I think, like you know, I probably will be for the rest of my lifetime, uh, you know, picking apart what I was taught, what I was taught by, you know, some Aboriginal um, <laughs> congregations or um, some Aboriginal-led congregations. I think um, the beauty of um, the beauty of of Aboriginal culture is it's so old, um, and it's got so many beautiful cultural kind of um moments like and ways of being there's a there's a sense of um you know just a really like a a, elders are so important you know and um and and just the way that elders interact with the congregation is just so important so there's that tradition and that real um there's a real kind of I don't know how to describe it, like just a real depth of ancient kind of tradition and identity. So the collective identity um, of Aboriginal people is so strong and they bring that into, into the way that they're Christian. And I, you know, I don't think that God asks us to drop our culture. um, How do they
0: experience collective Um, and individual identity in corporate worship and particularly Pentecostal worship?
1: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, in terms of Pentecostal Aboriginal people, um, really it's about encountering the spirit and so you know their identity comes from a deep connection with land so um and that that's very different so there's 400 or more aboriginal nations or tribes in australia um and their identity is very located so it comes out of the land and it's from this way of being on the land um so their collective identity is very much interwoven with their place um and you know things like the, the trees and the the, um, the mountains and the the streams and the rivers and all of those things. And then individual identity, you know, of in the city, which is where I was working, is um is you know there are individual identity um, is very real too. In that you know people are negotiating the city and they're working in jobs and they're not um, you know they're not, they're not removed from that. They're very much a part of that. And so, you know, people were working in all kinds of places and um, in the spirit, you know, when they come into worship, they're very much, you know, encountering God. And it's like, you know, what I found was that people were enabling, they were enabled to um, encounter God, enabled them to reverse racism and things that had happened on the way into church, for example, or, or, you know, they were um, in, in the spirit, they were able to, be able to figure out how to pull together the parts of their identities in different ways. So they were understanding what it was to be fully Aboriginal and fully Christian um, and God was making that more uh, present to them. So it was decisions like, you know, um, should I go to this event, you know, with the elders knowing that there'll be a smoking ceremony and God would tell them, yes, you go. Um, Or, you know, they would say like, should I be doing this? And it'd be no, you know, and just that, everyday negotiation with the spirit, it all happened in worship. And um, the parts of their collective identity that were being renewed together um, were so powerful. You know, there were lots of moments where like things were happening, governments where our government was intervening during my, you know, there was a, a terrible um, a, a massacre that occurred, you know, in one of the cities that I was studying. Um, but together the community, we're able to come into worship and to work out of how, what is happening here and how can we be with God and move forward in this, in this, um, in this moment. So yeah, I think hopefully that answers a little bit. yeah.
0: Yeah. Is there something specific about Pentecostal worship practices that you think Facilitate this. Um, I mean, that's some of your concluding statements. Where that? were that? Pentecostal worship practices. Mm. This is you, <laughs> you, Tanya. It's very, very profound. No, facilitate the the active reimagination of yeah. of aspects of of the worshiper's life.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Is is that really the creation of space mm. for a spirit encounter? A a, mm-hmm. a a corporate space to meet meet with God yeah. together. Is that
1: yeah. I think so, right? I mean, I God. I would say, yeah, when a community comes together to meet with God together, you know, and allows God to re the story um, and to show perspective. So, you know, there were moments where they people were struggling. Why would the government allow this? Or, you know, why would this happen? Or, you know, and then they were able to hear from God and to, you know, hear God say, I, I never, I, you were never unloved, <laughs> You were never out of my sight. This wasn't, you know, it. this is evil. This is, you know, this was not meant to occur. And, you know, you are my beloved child. Those moments, you know, allowed the community to re such horrific events, um, you know, such as the stolen generation in which, like, you know, essentially families were, like, it was kind of a, a genocide, an attempt to whiten the community children that were lighter in colour were taken away and put with white families in order to be raised as white people. And, you know, the, the families experienced trauma not just at that level but every generation after, like because you lose the skills of what it is to be a mother or you lose the skills of what it is to engage with your family. And, and they, you know, they would hear the spirit say, this was not my intent. I never intended to break up your family. Like this was not of God even though potentially it was done by the church in some cases, you know, so um, that I think was a definitive answer to them. You know, there was a sense of like reassurance, like this is the truth. (laughs) God did not want to annihilate our culture. Um, And I think, you know, that that happens in worship. And I do think that Pentecostal worship is that sense of walking into the room, being open for God to say something profoundly important. And,
0: I I think, yeah, as you're saying that, I'm, I'm, I'm picturing so many services where this, yeah, in in those contexts where God speaks, but not just to the person with the microphone or the person that's trained or the person that's playing a keyboard, which in, in some context, it, and of course, Pentecostals can be very personality driven and stage driven and production driven and, 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 but, but. But that concept, that idea of Acts two, Joel two, like yeah. even Amos Young's kind of ecclesiology, like the Spirit is poured out on all flesh. Yeah. That means everybody. We're we're yeah. hearing the sounds of children today. So children, and I've been in, in <laughs> Pentecostal services where children are the ones really yeah. for that community hearing hearing what God's really up to in this yeah. moment. Or you, yeah, you've mentioned those who are who are disabled. Um, powerful um, examples yeah. of those with Down syndrome, giving a prophetic word at a a conference. That would never happen in any church structure except maybe like Pentecostal or Mennonite or something that's really community-focused. And
1: beyond even that, so my Aboriginal um, participants, they brought an understanding of listening to land, and that was critical because in Australian culture, you know, so my – heritage is that you know convict so people who were did something mildly criminal (laughs) but were welsh and you know a threat to the state and um you know were transported sent on a boat nine months away to create a new community and were you know essentially you know um did not have the choice to return to their homeland ever again so that alienation from land is really deeply rooted in modern australian life and so for Aboriginal people to extend that listening to the land um, reconnects us really, doesn't it? It's a sense of, like, this is something. And when I realised, oh, my goodness, this is what I've been longing for but also, you know, um, very um, complicit in the damage of, uh, you know, I think I realised, gosh, you know, we really have our work cut out of us, (laughs) ahead of us, you know. Um, to be able to redress what's happened to our environment um, yeah. and to be in ways that can be truly representative of Jesus and his message, you know. Um, yeah, do you love jingle bells
0: happening in the background? Jingle bells, come on. Hey, I don't know if that's public t- public domain. Oh, yeah. We'll have to see if that gets yeah. kicked up. Kicked, kicked Sing Amazing Grace, yeah. please. Amazing no,
1: no.
0: <laughs> I, I guess I'm I'm curious as as particularly as I came to yeah some of these concluding points in your 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 book around what was happening uh, around you know the effects of shame culture being reversed and as you were saying kind of re narrating like is there this is the Jeremy the practitioner like worship leader Jeremy like is there a responsibility to help facilitate or create mm. that type of interaction is that something that only the spirit can do if you know thinking of me as a white now Midwestern American, yeah, like oh, coming oh, into yeah. coming into those spaces yeah. saying, Man, I want to help, I wanna help yeah. <laughs> re re narrate the effects of shame culture or yeah. brokenness or racism, but also yeah. can I even do that? Like, but I feel a responsibility. Could you maybe for those practitioners listening, like thinking? yeah, we'd love to see this level of transformation, of re-narration yeah, for yeah. our brothers and sisters in, in Christ, but also is is there a role or a responsibility? Is it a possibility?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think there's a role and a, and a responsibility for white worship leaders and people who are involved in theological spaces to um, do a number of things. And, and one of those is to really take the message of Jesus seriously. Um, in the self-emptying of power or kenosis. I, I really think that that, for me, was something that I learned oh, experientially because you have to. You have to physically release, you know, your power to listen to other people in an ethnographic project. And in doing so, I think, you know, you really gain this sense of, okay, well, um, you know, this is what is needed. And, you know, a lot of my friends who are people of colour say, You know, we've known what to do the whole time. The problem is not that we don't know what needs to happen. The problem is that we can't get access to the microphone. And that, to me, suggests that anyone who does have the microphone, whether that be, you know, a physical one, you know, like obviously a podcast or, you know, whether that be, you know, a metaphorical one, that we'd be handing that over um, and handing over power, not because we don't know how to use it or because, you know, we're, um nervous or lacking confidence but because we believe that Jesus gave over his power and came to earth um, and was on earth um and incarnated and that the incarnation is a really important Christian principle that i think um the why and the how melding together is a really important part of do of being an ally and um Working to change some of these structures for sure. Uh, and, you know, I think we can do that in all kinds of ways in our worship practice. I think, you know, it might be being open to, you know, say, for example, more vibrato than you would normally because that's a, someone's cultural home. Um, it might be, you know, being a little bit more open to doing things a little bit differently, not just what, you know, is hipster white culture and that makes us feel like we're, and I think we have to be really careful, right? And I, I'm i only speaking out of my own culture and my own way of being. There's a sense of, you know, when when the people that you love affirm you because they love what you're doing, they love your sound, they love, you know, what your music is, it, it can be so great. It's like this sense of like I'm so righteous, I'm doing what I'm meant to do, but I think we constantly need to be work, working like looking around and going, who is left out by what I'm doing? Um, and that could be, it could be, you know, being less ableist, you know, and thinking through like, how does someone who doesn't have, you know, as much, you know, physical mobility engage with what I do? It could be, you know, thinking through cultural, um, you know, the range of cultural emotions or, you know, um, sounds, or those kinds of things. I, I think, you know, in, in worship leader culture there is a primacy of being a, a white um and you know sometimes male um, participants. and and I think yeah. you know that that's really scary right because it's a it's something that we have to grapple with and I think you know my participants helped me to see it um and you know have become great friends and a part of my family I think it's the responsibility of all of us to continue to diverse power um, and to work out the best way to do that so that we can be incarnate um, or we can, we can model the incarnation. It's probably the best way to say it. Yeah. Of Jesus and how much he loved.
0: <laughs> I've been in mission circles so much of, of my early ministry life. And I I think I found like working with Turkish musicians, there were really well-meaning um Ethnomusicologist or ethnodoxologist coming to say, Hey, you need to stop playing acoustic guitar, stop playing translations of Hill song and play the saws and mm-hmm it was, it was a sense of kind of missions in the post-colonial, but they were, they were, they were like to, to they wanted to highlight the indigenous Turkish music and yeah. and things like that. And again, it was well-meaning. My Turkish friends were like, yeah. you know, sat with them, listened, <laughs> encouraged them. Yeah. But as I was, as I was sitting tea tea afterwards, drinking chai and mm-hmm. and kind of asking, what did you think about that? They're like, I felt like they're shoving the saws down my throat <laughs> like yeah. where, yeah. where, you know, we're in Istanbul. We sing, you know, for hundreds of years. We've had tango and jazz, and right. Like rock, and yes. it's not just rock. It's yeah. it's Anadolu rock. It's yeah. Turkish, and I think these these situations are are kind of messy, right? Um,
1: Absolutely.
0: And, and I I appreciate uh, again one of the things that I appreciate of, about the tradition I've grown up in, and that Pentecostal tradition is Pentecostals for The most part are okay with that messiness. Yeah. There's actually a, yeah. an expectation yeah. that um, there's going to be noise on a podcast, I, or there's yeah. going to be.
1: <laughs> you will be able to listen and hear something if you're willing. Yeah.
0: And the, the spirit will still be poured out.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh. I, I, yeah, I've appreciated. Oh man, so much of of what what you've you've shared and highlighted. Is there any anything for those particularly that are on the church music side or or leaders of worship? Just an encouragement you might yeah you might have for them who are in the uh, trenches of, of of daily life and ministry.
1: Yeah, I mean, so I just was thinking the words um, be bold, be unafraid just came to mind. You know, I think the way that you know we can. Um, cross those divides is really with that that kind of boldness that comes in the spirit. Um, and like you said, you know, fusions and ways of being, there's so many different ways to refold this. It doesn't have to be the, you know, the way that, you know, you you look at and go, oh, gosh, that's, um, you know, that's not going to work for us. I think, you know, you can kind of listen. Ethnomusicologists definitely have something to share. You know, there's something that mega churches bring, there's, there's ways to walk between all these pieces and to figure out, you know, um, how to be. And I think that it, that just requires boldness. And I'd really encourage, you know, just that sense of, you know, courage um, going through the Bible maybe and just going through like, you know, where is it that God asks people to be bold? Um, and I can think of so many, you know, I can think of like angels that turned up and said, you know, do not fear. (laughs) Um, And in this particular age, post-COVID, you know, if that's a thing, you know, um, as society is trying to figure out what, what, where do we go, you know, after all these um, critical and necessary transitions of working it out, you know, um, where do women fit? Where do people of colour fit? Where do like, you know, what are we doing? It's boldness is really an important um, key, I think. And yeah, just really encourage them to be who they're called to be, <laughs> flourish, be you. We yeah. need you.
0: <laughs> Amen. That's awesome. Hey, and we need. This is cheesy American, but we need you. Thank you for so much of 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 your time, your energy. It's been a delight to to sit with you and sit with your two boys. Get to know them. Yes.
1: <laughs> this is my. Uh, Thursday morning, and thank you all for being really um, kind about Jingle Bells and all kinds of random things happening in the background.
0: (laughs) Oh, you're awesome, Tanya. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening today, and a special thanks to the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship for their support of this podcast.